I get it. Uh, this is actually uh, another, I'm going to just read this real quickly. It's another uh, version called the message, which is really not a version. It's what we call a paraphrase. And, uh, and I, I love the way this is stated. So I hope this can help because I'm going to use that Romans text a little bit. I want you to hear it uh, in these words. I can anticipate the response coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prisons. Why, why I don't understand about what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. It's that turning to the law piece. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I'm obviously in need of help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. You ever felt like that? I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My, my decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Isn't that a loaded question? <laughs> the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in my life of contradictions where I serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I love that uh, version of it, it, of account. It becomes more, at least for me, uh, a, a moment of accountability to read that. And it runs me back again and again when I read that text uh, to, the, to that idea that, that is uh, central to our faith life, that without Jesus Christ, without our, our belief system, without a community of faith, where we watch over one another with love and, and in accountability and grace. Without those things in our lives, we are just become impulsive, self-centered, driven toward the things we, we know we shouldn't go toward, whatever that might be. I don't know what it is for you. I suspect there are things that, that trouble you about yourself. And, and yet what is so powerful about this to me is the, is the idea that, that Paul here, um, a lot of scholars will tell you this, Paul isn't really just speaking about himself. This is more of an oratory. He's, he, he's like a, if you could picture a, a, an actor on a stage, it's Paul offering this, this um, sense of self that he seems to say in the text, is universal, that 
at least among those who understand life as a Christ follower, we get it. We, we know what we're supposed to do, and yet we don't do it. And, and it's what drives us is that, 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 uh, that, that connection that we still have to sin. Uh, a lot of pastors, myself, you know, I, I don't like to talk about you know, sinners, you sinners. That's, that's not what Paul is saying here. And this is not a, a cop-out where Paul is saying, you know, the devil makes me do it. You know, remember those of you who are old enough, remember Flip, Flip Wilson? You know, he, the devil made him do it. Um, can't remember that character's name. Some of you would know. Uh, doesn't matter. But uh, the idea here is deeper than that. This is about him speaking to who we are fundamentally as human beings. That is to say, at the core of who we are, we're, we're missing something. And the only way to, 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 to get that something is to lean into our faith life, to to study and to learn about the teachings of Jesus, especially. It's interesting that the, of the two texts, the gospel text was probably written after the Romans text. Usually Paul's epistles, the letters that he wrote, uh, were written before the gospels. I didn't go back and get the dates, but that's generally the case. And, and I think that's interesting that he's writing about this uh, and, and, and knowing and remembering all that he's learned about the, the life and teachings of Jesus during Jesus' lifetime. So the gospel text, you know, has the, 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 the Pastor Rebecca talked about it in, in her sermon, all those who are weary and heavy laden uh, in me will find rest. Also one of my favorite passages and yet, and it sounds so easy, doesn't it? Just believe, just follow, just lean into Jesus, and you will find rest. Ah, oh, I love that. And that's true. I found that to be the case often. But otherwise as well. Being a Christ follower sometimes takes that rest, that comfort away from us. And we feel afflicted, lost, and searching. Here we hear Paul, for instance, talking about, you know, what am I going to do? I know, I know what I do. I know what I need to do, but I don't do it. I do this instead. And he's, he is so mixed up and confused that it gets us mixed up and confused, right? It's that language. So, so what I want you to hear is this, in, 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 at least in part. It's not about flawed or corrupt inside. We may have some of that. We've got to own that for ourselves if we do. Instead, it's about this idea that, that our lives are difficult. They're not micromanaged by God. We don't have all the answers on how to navigate our lives in the gospel text. But what we do have is this assurance of this eternal, overflowing, never-ending, ceaseless kind of love and grace that pours over us. 
and we're never alone. I remember one time struggling with this, and, and Bishop Sines uh, looked me squarely in the eye. He's like 6'4", and I'm looking up at him, and when he talks, you listen, because he's huge. And uh, he said, Chad, you know, without Jesus Christ, I'm a worm. He said, I'm nothing. And that realization, you know, I, my ego gets in the way when I try to think about that. But we are less than without Christ in our lives as Christ's followers. And the way we get there is mindfulness, being conscientious about it. Paul's working through that as he is vocalizing his, his concern out to others, trying to resonate with others about what life in Christ is like. It's hard to move forward sometimes. And he's expressing that. Jesus offers that promise, and that promise is real, it's genuine, it's there, we've, all, we've experienced it. If you have not, you will keep leaning into it, keep following Christ. But for, for, for Paul, this is a moment of struggle. Incidentally, he's also writing to, to, to the church in Rome, a church he did not found, a church he had never visited. So the words, think about the words he's sharing with them. He's never met these folk. I mean, he probably has a sense of what they're about. But think about writing something so transparent, so deep and genuine about yourself and your own struggles and offering that up to people to say, does this sound familiar to you all? Because this is what's happened to me. That's kind of what he's doing here. I think that's so powerful. and That's an important piece to know. That, that these are, this is a message to strangers, folks he's never met before. I just think that's really powerful. So there's a part of me, uh, when I read this text earlier, uh, several weeks ago actually, that um, has two immediate responses without thinking about it to, to Paul. One is, grow up, dude, and fix whatever's bothering you in your life. Just be pragmatic about it. Get it done. Okay, that's one, one possibility. The other was, you know, stop whining about it. You're no different than anybody else. We all struggle, right? So those are the things that came to my mind first in my emotional reactivity to the text. I reread it several times, and I realized, as I said a moment ago, this is a very vulnerable text. He's really putting himself out there in a powerful way. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to do. It's hard for me to, would be to stand up in front of you and say what Paul said about myself. That would be a struggle. And I think about that. And I think about the struggles people have. You know, a man walks in and sits on his familiar bar stool after a six-month absence. He orders his drink, and the bartender has got it prepared before he says a word. Unceremoniously sits it in front of him and walks away. A young man crosses a road in his little town, Main Street, five, six inches of snow falling. And as he crosses the road, he stumbles over a black wallet loaded with fives and tens and twenties up to over $400. And he picks it up, and the friend walking with him says, Merry Christmas, dude. 
Instead, he finds a driver's license in it and goes to a trailer park, finds a single divorced husband who was saving that money to buy his kids Christmas gifts, and he returns it. A young teenager packs her bags, leaves home, no word for months on end. One hot summer night, the doorbell rings at that home. She stands there before her parents, suitcase in hand, bruised and bloodied. Imagine those situations, the individuals involved, a lone man at a bar stool, a crossroads for a young man finding a wallet loaded with cash, and the, the life of a young teenager and her parents. There's probably what we might think of as sin in all of those situations, but more than anything else, it's, it's about relationships. The relationships we have with one another and with the things that burden us. Did the man take that drink? Did the young man return the money? I, I said that one. What happened when the young teenage girl returned home? Was she welcomed back in? We don't know. But it's about relationships. Something happened in all of those lives. Something has happened, I suspect, if you're like me, in, in your life as well, where a relationship goes awry and things don't happen as they should. I believe Paul is talking more about relationships here than he is about a particular sin that you should not commit, whatever his might have been. It doesn't really get specific about that. And I think what Paul is trying to say, and I think it's reinforced by the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus, and especially the one we heard today, is that uh, that's what matters, is how we orient our life in our relationships. That's the power that lifts us above doing that that we don't want to do. Uh, it, is, it is a matter of accountability to one another. It is a matter of self-discipline. But it's also a matter of listening to one's heart. You can think it through all you want, but it's that the heart, it's the feelings, it's the spiritual nature of this that we have to lean into in order to rise above and to move past it. I, I titled the sermon, The Best of Me. Uh, it's not, I, I, you know, what is the, the best of you? Uh, it's an interesting term. You know, you, you, I, I mentioned last week that you're going to, as a, your new pastor, you're going to get the best of me in every way. And, and uh, isn't that interesting? You know, you can, you can interpret that a couple of ways. You know, somebody can, you know, well, he got the best of you, <laughs> right? There's one way to think about it. The other is the, the positive, which is, you know, uh, you, you've got the best of me. And I think that's what Paul is working through here is the struggle of, of how, how am I offering out the best on behalf of my faith in God and Jesus Christ? How am I living into that? And he struggles with this throughout this text. He just reiterates it over. And that's what makes it difficult to read 
is I think he's struggling with it and, 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 and having trouble logically and sequentially wording it in that way. And that's such a powerful notion. There's, there's two, two examples real quickly I want to offer you that, that have just simply, I've not allowed myself to forget them. They, they both happened quite a few years ago. The first one was as a young pastor. Um, I uh, was an associate pastor at a large church in, in uh, northwest Kansas. And I was doing a hospital visit, getting ready to get onto an elevator, just standing there, just like a normal day. The elevator door opened, and on the floor was a woman lying there, and her crutches were in not where they should be. She obviously had fallen. There was one young nurse assistant there with her, and not know, just not knowing what to do, and I'm usually a fairly proactive person, I stood there and just stared at this scene and watched as that door went shut. I've not, I, I don't lose sleep about this at night. I don't feel bad about it, but I can't forget that time when I didn't jump into action. Why didn't I cross the threshold into that elevator and help lift her up? What was my hesitation? This is, resonates the, with this, this text from Paul of, you know, we, we know what to do, but we don't do it. And there was a moment where I didn't do it. I, I think that's, uh, that's how we look at this. And the mindfulness, the, the prayerfulness wasn't there at that point in my life. I was thinking about getting out of ministry. This is not for me. I'm in my 30s. I need to do something now. That was, that was a part of, of my journey that I, that I share with you. Another part goes back even further. I'm, I've got a lot of stories, and I'll try not to repeat any of them. Uh, but uh, one, of the, one of the most powerful uh, in, influences in my life outside of the church, and, and I believe he, he had a church home of his own, was a, was a coach of mine in uh, middle school and high school. He was a, a throws coach, so I threw the discus and the shot put and the hammer. And uh, he was one of these motivator kinds of guys. His coaching was very professional, you know. And when you won or did well, his response was always super. And he would yell it out. So everybody would hear, you know. If you got a good toss off, everybody knew it because of Coach Sawyer. And I always had a lot of respect and admiration for him. I've always remembered his, his positive way. But what's more important about him was the way he developed relationships with the athletes that he coached. With me, for instance, the coaching was quiet, face-to-face, -face, very personal. You know, here's, the, here's how you modify, here's how you do this, so on and so forth. It wasn't the achievement of putting another foot on a throw that was powerful about him in retrospect. It was at the time. Y'all want to, I mean, you want to throw further, right? You want to win. But what's powerful about him was the way he taught and the way he connected. And that's what's powerful, I believe, about St. Paul's here in Papillion. You all connect with one another in some really powerful ways and with your community.
And that is such, a, such an awesome gift to be able to have the privilege of being your pastor and to work alongside and with you and to help lead some of those efforts. I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of that, and I want you to know that. And knowing this, that, that uh, at the end of Paul's text, it's the big ending, he realizes at the end, in both versions, that it's only God that can fix it. It's only God's love and grace that he accepts that can help him to navigate whatever it is that's plaguing him. He knows that, and he concludes with that as he shares this out with the people around him. That's a powerful notion. It always, for him, goes back to his life and faith. It always goes back to his knowledge, and I suspect he had probably heard that text, those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's got that connection. Our work today and moving forward should always be about that, offering that balm to people who need healing, the food, the school supplies. You, you all do countless things. I'm still learning about all the different outreach ministries here. Those are great ways for us to connect, to live into what Paul is talking about. And we do it through our relationships. So let's grow those relationships. Let's invite new people in. Let's, let's be about uh, bringing in new and, and younger and more diverse people, you know, of all kinds, welcoming everybody here, being a place where all can understand and live into what this gospel text and especially what Paul in Romans is, is teaching us about today. You are that gift to that community. I encourage that to move forward. And let's see where God leads us together in that work. Blessed to be a part of you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.